$103.3 billion. That is the total amount of spending authorized by the New York City budget adopted by the City Council for the fiscal year that began on July 1. While city budget officials call it a budget of $98.3 billion, the larger figure reflects the full amount to be expended, including $6 billion available and rolled over from the prior year due to higher than expected tax receipts and federal aid. Here to discuss the new budget is the controller of New York City, Scott Stringer. He has six months left in his second term as controller. As listeners undoubtedly know, Scott has just ended an unsuccessful race for mayor. But today, we're talking with him in his capacity as the city's chief fiscal officer, responsible for reviewing the budget, authorizing expenditures and contracts, and certifying that there is sufficient revenue to pay the city's obligations to the Emergency Financial Control Board and to bondholders and other creditors. I should note that in his almost eight years as controller, Scott has been a guest speaker at CBC programs many times and was the recipient of its award for high civic service in 2018. And I'll welcome everybody listening to What's the Data Point from Gotham Gazette and Citizens Budget Commission. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And I'm Carol Kellerman, pinch hitting for Andrew Ryan, president of CBC. And we are very happy to have Controller Scott Stringer with us for this discussion about the city budget, city finances, the larger fiscal picture for the city as we enter these final months and the first half of the final fiscal year for this class of city government under this mayor, this controller, this city council and others, and look ahead to the city's future, as the controller just said. Before we get into this discussion, if anybody missed any of our recent episodes, find those at the CBC website, the Gotham Gazette website, or wherever you get your podcasts at What's the Data Point. We recently had a really good discussion about the state budget and state finances with State Senator Liz Kruger, the chair of the Senate Finance uh, Committee, E.J. McMahon of the Empire Center, and a couple of CBC experts, including President Andrew Ryan. So find that. Uh, if you missed it uh, in the heat of the, the summer and the elections, uh, we had a really good discussion about state finances, which, of course, also relate to city finances. All right. Controller Stringer, thank you for being here. Well, Carol, first of all, let me say thank you for that award on behalf of the entire controller's office. I still remember that night and it was very special for the office. So thank you. And it's great to be with all of you to talk about the finances of the city and the future of New York City and Ben, it's good to see you again as well. So I'm really excited to be here today. Before we get to the new city budget, you have just announced the filing of a lawsuit against the de Blasio administration around COVID emergency orders and your contract oversight. Tell us a little bit about what happened there. Well, Ben, at the height of the pandemic in March of 2020, uh, the mayor issued Executive Order 101, which basically allowed him to sidestep uh, contract oversight by my office in the name of the COVID crisis. The theory being that we were clearly in a pandemic and we had to move as quickly as possible and he didn't have time for that kind of oversight. Well, we are now at a point where yesterday we just had our amazing ticker tape parade. We know that the city is slowly getting back to normal, but unlike the governor, the mayor continues this executive order 101, which has shielded him from any contract or procurement oversight. 
This is startling and absolutely distressing, considering the fact that over the past year, he has entered into 1,500 contracts for the possible cost of $6.9 billion. And that means that no one has taken a look at those contracts. What I have been able to see has been very disturbing. For example, we know that there was a contract to order N95 masks at the height of the pandemic, but it turns out that they were not N95 masks. They contracted for ventilators that never arrived. This is on and on and on. And the reason we have a checks and balance is to make sure that we don't waste taxpayers' money. But I am not going to walk out of the controller's office and leave $6.9 billion uh, that is unaccounted for through 1,500 contracts. And that's why I took the mayor to court. We're in state Supreme Court awaiting for a judge's ruling. Any um, response from the administration? As you as you know, you, you mentioned that you've sought to not have to take this step of a suit. Has there been a response? What's the, what's the mayor or the administration said about why they continue to do this and are not granting you that oversight? Well, the, the mayor sent a snarky response and I sent him a lawsuit. The bottom line is we are going to make sure that we end this executive order that allowed the city to procure $7 billion in contracts without charter mandated oversight, without accountability. And that is never something that you want to continue. And I want to make sure that the new mayor and the new controller uh, are able to have the full charter mandated responsibilities and powers to continue checks and balances. We've seen in the de Blasio administration what happens when there aren't checks and balances, when City Hall uh, runs amok, when there's lobbyists and uh, you know power players that can come into City Hall? We saw that with agents of the city. We're not going to see it under my watch as uh, we deal with uh, these contracts. And listen, I, you know, before we jump to the budget, you know, obviously in the heat of the pandemic, especially the early months, some of these, you know, there there, there will be mistakes made, but they need to be evaluated and they need to be pointed out and they need to be, uh, you know, all of the spending needs to be examined. But, you know, it seems like maybe there's another example at play here of trying to not have politically politically damaging uh, stories out there as the mayor is trying to celebrate the, the city's reopening. So we'll follow that storyline uh, as it progresses here. Well, Ben, let me just also just yeah. double down for a second. This is not simply about embarrassing stories. You're talking about $7 billion uh, in procurement spend. You're talking about 1,500 contracts. And you're also looking at a total lack of oversight. And we have to go back to understanding that good government means oversight and accountability. And there's no reason why the city controller should have to take the mayor to court just to fulfill charter mandated responsibilities. This is more than just checking in about this. This is a major, major issue uh, that will face the new government in January if we don't get a good judge's ruling. Okay, on to the budget. <laughs> yes. All right. The Citizens Budget Commission and others have criticized this new budget for initiating a number of new programs using short-term federal relief dollars that will not be there to keep the programs going. Uh, you issued a very brief statement when the new budget was adopted, and you said that there is a, quote, great deal to commend, but that, quote, we must have a plan to pay for the new programming in the longer term. The mayor has said that the city revenue will rise over time to pay for the new spending. Everything will go back to the way it was, 
before the pandemic, he said at the press conference when the budget was released. Do you agree with that? What do your office's revenue projections show about the recovery and growth of city tax revenue over the next three to five years? These are very important questions to answer. And I can tell you that, look, some of the tax revenues did better than expected last year, especially personal income tax, the corporate business taxes. And that was because of you know the hot Wall Street market. But our office, we're not expecting that to last. And as both of you know, we've already seen property taxes declining this year. And that's the first time that's happened in like a quarter of a century. Uh, I do not believe the stock market is gonna continue as it has been going. And we already have projected out your budget gaps of $5 billion. So I don't think it's appropriate to take a view that we're going back to normal and the gaps will solve themselves. We're gonna have to actively manage this budget, not just this year, but over the course of the financial plan. And we also have to recognize that, what does it mean for the city to go back to normal? The reality is that many businesses are grappling with how people are going back to work, who's gonna be working at home? How do we open up the different markets? How do we deal with tourism and the issues that we've long discussed as we come out of the pandemic? So I think the mayor and the council missed a real opportunity to start to think about what a post-pandemic New York will look like through the lens of our tax revenues. I am concerned that a lot of the stimulus money is basically for one shots without any strategy for long-term investment in the programs that we care about. Uh, we do need a plan for agency savings. Uh, I'm glad that the um, uh, I'm glad that the mayor and the council put $500 million away in the savings plan and the rainy day fund that was established. Now we're up to 10.8% of spend. I've long said that to be safe, we should be between 12% and 18%. And let me just mention, Carol, because I think you'll find this interesting. The rainy day fund has no guardrails. So yes, while we have now a billion dollars in the savings account, uh, it's a savings account. It's not a CD. There's no penalty for early withdrawal. And I worry that when next year's budget or the next budget comes, it's going to be easy to tap that money for pork barrel spending rather than to hold it for real emergencies. You also said that there should be, um, as many of us say every year, um, there should be savings achieved through agency efficient efficiencies um, Better, uh, better oversight of procurement is an example of that. But um, what do you think should determine how much such savings should be? Is there sort of, a, you know, people throw around different percentages? Is there a percentage of the total amount that's spent that could be used to offset new spending? Or, or what other formula or approach would you take? Well, look, I've said for a very long time that we should have a goal of uh, a set aside, a reserve cushion of between 12 and 18%. And I think we should set specific goals for sustainable spending growth and for savings. And I think that should be incorporated into the financial plan. You know, we, we have a, you know, an out year financial plan, but we also need to establish an out year budget plan. And that is something that I would recommend to the next mayor and the next controller. You know, I remember, uh, when I went to the city council right before the pandemic, 
to talk about why we needed to put more money away, why we needed a bigger budget cushion. And it was, I think, around March 1st, 2020. And I said at the time that we have to do this in the good times because we never know what the unexpected will be. And while I did not have a crystal ball, a week later, we saw the full impact of what COVID would bring. We need a rainy day fund. It is critical to the budget planning. It's necessary. We've needed it after 9-11. We've needed it in 2008 during the financial crisis. And we're going to need it going forward, especially when we know that stimulus money dries up in the next two, two and a half years. So, so, so let's put a finer point on that, maybe, if there, if, if there is a finer point. What we're seeing here is the mayor is sort of gambling by assuming revenues are going to really increase while putting federal money towards recurring costs that he's hoping the revenue will backfill, correct? I mean, is that is that basically the gamble that's at play here? Is that the mayor in his final budget here, in his final months, is trying to sort of, um, you know, perhaps do what he thinks is best for the city's recovery, but in a way that is risky with spending where recurring programs he's setting up will have to be cut by the next administration if those revenues don't backfill the federal spending that he's using. Well, that's exactly right. And you hit the nail on the head, uh, which is why, first and foremost, you want to get to 18% of spend, which is, by the way, what Mayor Bloomberg rolled over to Mayor-elect de Blasio. Mm -hmm. And that works out to, I think, between $9 billion and $13 billion. That is why we need this ambitious goal. And I believe that if we don't do that, we leave a lot of the programs that we support, like pre-K and 3K. And by the way, my idea for two teachers in every classroom, I'm very excited uh, that the mayor adopted that idea as part of his education agenda. And while we are receiving $7 billion in education aid, we do need to make sure that all of these programs uh, are sustainable uh, way into the financial plan. And that is something that we do not see so far. But the, the problem is it's very hard to say to the mayor and the count and for the mayor to say to the council, okay, well, let's not spend all of the money that we have or that's being generated by revenue and put it in a fund for later when you and I elected officials may not even be here when it's needed. It's very hard to do that. This council, certainly they're, they're all patting themselves on the back for putting $500 million into the fund. But for example, they could have taken all the unprojected property tax revenue, which was $1.5 billion more than they conservatively estimated. They could have said, okay, well, we didn't plan for that. So let's put it in the rainy day fund. But instead, you know, they take some but the rest gets spent and the council has more member items this year than it had last year. So what did you observe about the council's role in the budget this year? Was it different or, or more of an impact than in prior years because it was the last year of a lot of people's terms and they wanted to have a legacy? A couple observations. First, the, the, the spend was a little out of control. I mean, I think between the mayor side and the council side, it was another, you know, uh, 1.2. Uh, yeah. They were at 1.2 at one point, you know, to close the deal down. 
uh, and that was way beyond what should have happened. Uh, but look, I, I, one observation that I think is important is this is the first time we've had a June primary for mayor, for controller, for all the city council races. And I think a lot of attention, especially for term limited council members, was on the election. And then the budget closed right around that time. So I think assuming we keep the June primaries, I think we're going to have to be mindful of the election year budgets to make sure that we have greater transparency, hearings that start earlier. And I do think we should visit this issue because I think the budget got lost in translation while people were focused on who they were ranking for what office, candidates not focused, you know, rightly so, they're in the midst of an election. And I think a lot got lost in this budget, which is why I am very committed to seeing our lawsuit to fruition because I don't believe that we should have unchecked spending with no oversight, no transparency. Uh, at some point, we have to rein everybody in and go back to the rules of governing. One of the things that wasn't covered in the budget is the new labor contracts that will all be expiring in the early part of the next mayor's term. And usually it may not end up being enough, but there's some amount, a billion, $2 billion that the, the budget keeps in reserve to be applied to the labor contracts. That's not in this budget. Do, what's your advice to the next mayor on how to approach the labor contracts when there's no salary increase revenue set aside? Well, let, let's let's be fair and, and remind ourselves that uh, Michael Bloomberg, uh, having failed to negotiate any labor contracts, knowing that the next mayor would then have to negotiate all the contracts and set the pattern, he only put 1% increases in his budget plan. So that was ridiculous eight years ago. De Blasio one-upped him by simply taking the zero. 1% out of the budget and putting a zero, but there's very little difference between 1% and zero when you have the entire labor force uh, ready to negotiate new contracts. And so this puts the next mayor uh, and labor you know, at a disadvantage because you, you, you're going to have raises, you're going to have negotiations, uh, but you also are going to have a larger budget deficit. And that's something that should have been discussed, resolved, and a more realistic uh, view of what the contracts will, you know, will support. And, and I think that, again, uh, speaks to end of term, people not willing to leave the next person you know, in a good place, which is why I, I must say that, you know, as Brad Lander, uh, I assume, wins the November election, it's important that my office begins to think about making sure that the transition that I'm going to embark on gives him every ability to hit the ground running on January 1st. And it really is up to the predecessor, the person in office, not just to think about your own legacy, but also to think about how you can actually help the next person do even better because this is our city and we do this work because we love our city and governing is about the long term, not the short term. Now, the final proof in the pudding here will basically be in the November, in November, right? When we see the, the, the modified budget and the, and the November plan, uh, really in the final weeks of, of all this, that's when we're going to have 
at least a somewhat updated picture on revenue and the possibility of some of the adjustments to what we're talking about here, right? I mean, what we're talking about here is not final, final. I mean, really what we're, we're this is obviously a very, very important decisions that they made in the budget. But once we see what, what comes in November is a lot more of really what's going to be on the plate of that next class of, of elected officials, including the mayor, correct? Well, I think that that only happens um, if we start talking about some of the challenges the new council and the new sure. mayor will inherit. And I do think before the November plan, I think we should be loud and, and vocal and, and good government groups should speak up. And, you know, one one point that sometimes get lost when you talk about savings, people think, oh, wait, wait a minute, we're, we're not spending on programs if we're saving and we have so many worthwhile programs that we want to invest in. And I certainly understand that. but. What people sometimes forget is when there is an economic downturn and when budgets need to be cut, the people who get hurt are the people who are already hurting. And we saw that during the pandemic. The mayor, when he was worried about the budget as I was during the pandemic, the first thing he wanted to cut was uh, you know, threatened 34,000 city workers. Then he wanted to cut summer jobs for kids because these are the most vulnerable people who end up on the chopping block. If you have a robust savings plan, you insulate the, the people who struggle in the city from being the first to go. And I think this is gonna be a valuable argument uh, for those who are coming in with big progressive ideas. You have to pause and say, I gotta put something away for my people because you know the economy is up and down and we never know what comes our way. Do you think that the new incoming um, officials think that way or do they think, well, we'll find new revenue sources, we'll raise taxes the way the state did. Um, these are important programs. And by the way, to Ben's point, the November modification is, is it's up to the mayor to submit that. The mayor could just keep going with not oh, submitting any changes. Mm -hmm. So these programs that, that are being authorized as of July 1st are starting and the money is going to be in the process of being spent. And yes, we'll have some more ideas about the impact on the economy, although it could be years of, um, of changes that we don't really know yet. But um, you're going to have 3K and you're going to have um, the money for the new summer program and various other things that are created in this budget, um, baby bonds for kids in kindergarten. You can't say, oh, never mind in November without repercussions, um, well, which I'm, you know, what, what it's possible, is it not that the response will be not to find savings um, sufficient to offset the loss of the federal money, but to look for new sources of revenue. And what would they be? Well, here's a, an idea that, that I think the, the next mayor uh, should run with, which is you got to figure out how to increase the tax base, the kind of economic, we have to go back to thinking about economic development and growth and how you build uh, you know, a broader base. And that unfortunately was not dealt with in this mayor's term. And the next mayor is going to have to do that and going to have to do it as far as the transition. I actually agree with Eric Adams. I do think because of 
these big programs that are very important to New Yorkers. As I said, you know, 3K, two teachers in every classroom, uh, baby bonds. These are all the things that can change a child's life and we should be investing in them. But we also have to figure out how to expand our tax base to look at different ways to grow the economy. And I do think the mayor should be in touch with the mayoral candidates, Republican and Democrat, to start briefing them on the economic uh, activity uh, that, that they will need to develop. I'm certainly going to do that with anyone who calls me, because part of my job is to forecast uh, the economy for the city, not just in the financial plan, but even beyond. And I'm ready to engage to make sure that whoever gets elected from the controller to the mayor to the council speaker candidates, they all have to have this because we're not going to have that much time to waste. So let me ask you two, two quick follow-ups on that. The devil's advocate play here that the mayor's comments, you know, basically are that invest, you know, invest the money, invest in recovery, invest, 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 get the state revenues for education, get the uh, federal aid and any additional tax revenue that's coming in. Yes, put some aside, but but invest in recovery. And it helps keep, you know, people from leaving the city who who might have more mobility. You know, if you make the city uh, more attractive to stay, it brings people in, it improves services, you get kids caught up, you know, who've fell behind in school, keep the capital program going, et cetera, et cetera. The, the, obviously the lens is invest the money and then we get the returns. Any, any validity I, to that? There's a, th but that's the easy part. Mm -hmm. That's the good part. That, that's the exciting part. That's what six and a half billion dollars in stimulus money gives you an opportunity to do. And again, uh, when I commended the budget uh, from a value perspective or, or, or a set of values about where what we should invest in, I agree with a lot of it, but there's more work to be done. Again, it's it, you can do, look, you can walk and chew gum at the same time. You can invest in programs and use stimulus money as a down payment, but you also have to do the extra work of making sure that these programs are gonna be in play when stimulus money runs out, when we, when we have tough times ahead, we saw what happened with COVID and how the city's economy was brought to its knees. We're still seeing a 13% decrease in the commercial, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the commercial uh, vacancy taxes, and uh, you're seeing uh, sales tax revenue down. I think 8%. And so, you know, whether it's the commercial rent tax or or, or sales tax, we still are not out of this. You know, I know a lot of people and a lot of people with great wealth are ready to celebrate the 1920s and, you know, big concerts and big parades. And, and it's all great. And I'm excited about it as a New Yorker, as a father re re raising two kids. But you got to do the back office work. You got to make sure that this is going to be OK, not just in the last six months of your mayoral term, but you really do have responsibility to make sure that you do not create a financial plan that just takes so much work to keep going that you didn't think about these issues in the future. And that's what I've been trying to advocate for for the last many years. What is this hesitancy to cut more fat at the agencies? It's, there's, there's clearly, when, when, it, when they try to do it, they, they can find savings and it doesn't seem to be any you know, major shifts to what the administration is trying to do with its major goals. Is this is just a management deficit? Uh, 
for the mayor or what's the, do you have a sense at this point, seven and a half years in why this is like pulling teeth all the time to, to get him to do a, a, a peg of sorts or insist on agency savings to a greater degree than he has, you know, he does it, he does it sometimes. Look, I got him to do it this past year reluctantly mm-hmm. uh, because we kept pushing and prodding because look, you want to avoid cutting essential services. You want to avoid laying off workers. You want to make sure that programs for the poor and the people who struggle are ongoing, even in tough times. And the way to do that is continue to look for savings and efficiencies in our city agencies. And when they have focused on it, they were able to find those savings. But look, I did the exercise in the controller's office. It's a $100 million budget. There's 788 employees. And I returned without anyone asking me 5% of our budget back to the general fund during the height of the crisis. I looked at old contracts that weren't being used. I looked at different efficiencies that uh, that we looked at. And I, I think we were like the only age, certainly elective agency that actually did this exercise. I didn't lay off anybody. I didn't have the work diminished. It's just you collect a lot of inefficiency and a lot of waste. And it's good to clear that waste because remember, what you really want to spend taxpayer dollars on are people and services. Uh, You want to make sure you can invest in our nonprofits. You can invest in the aspirational goals like 3K and, and affordable housing. And the way to do that is by, again, walking and chewing gum at the same time. It's not that hard. But isn't it, it's a cultural, point of view, is it not that you should always be doing this? It's not some sort of, you know, unpleasant one-time exercise. It's an ongoing management responsibility and that cut, making cuts that can be used for other areas that are a higher priority um, is necessary instead of an approach that all government spending in the city should add to prior spending and that it's all an investment without really knowing that you're going to get a return on it. It's just per se a plus because you mean well and you're doing good work. And so there's nothing that can be cut or paired or redirected because it's all so worthwhile. Look, there are some investments that may have seemed like a good idea at the time. Perhaps there was an outside consultant that you thought had value, but that consultant has been continued on the payroll, doing nothing but taking up dollars that could be used for foster care or different health care. That exercise should always be there. It doesn't mean that you're a budget cutter. It actually means, from my perspective, that you're being progressive, that you're actually investing in the programs that matter to people's lives. And that is why when you have a bureaucracy or a $103.6 billion budget, you have to ask yourself, are we, are we using this money to the fullest for our people? And this is not the work that's going to get you on the front page of the newspaper. It may get you invited to this podcast. Uh, (laughs) In fact, this is a great podcast for for you guys, right? Um, But this is not something that's going to make your name in the front page of a tabloid, but it is the work of governing that has to happen. And I hope that with a new council and new opportunity, I think we can turn the page by being aspirational, but also actually doing the business of government on a day-to-day basis. I think the city will be better served. 
you're, you're looking to get your contract oversight back and dig into these COVID contracts, $7 billion. Yes. You're pushing the administration on modifications for November to, to potentially improve some of the things we've discussed. Yes. Uh, what else here in the final months? What are your goals? What are your biggest priorities? What, what, uh, what uh, other parting? We probably, maybe we'll have you back right at the end, but if we don't, what are, what are the parting uh, months going to look like besides those couple of very big priorities there? Well, you know, usually, you know, if you run for office like I did and you're not successful, you know, by the time the primary comes in September, you're really running, packing up, trying to prepare your transition. Uh, the fact that we still have a half a year in office means that my staff is going to work as we have for the last seven and a half years. Uh, we're going to have good news, I think, on our pension returns. We're going to finish up our fossil fuel divestment. We've got a number of important audits that have to go out before the end of the year. So the next mayor has a better under fuller understanding of some of the things we found. And, you know, I, I'm looking forward to the next six months if I've looked forward to the last seven and a half years. It's This is a great job. And as I said uh, at the beginning, I'm going to leave this office in the best shape possible for the new controller to continue the work that we've accomplished and also to give the next controller a wide swath of opportunity to make uh, his own mark. And I'm very, very excited about that. And that's what governing is all about. So Ben, I hope I get to come on and you know do a do a victory lap of sorts if you'll have me. Of course. But if you don't, uh, <laughs> I'll be telling you about it anyway. <laughs> so uh, we're gonna we're gonna You've made reference to the campaign a couple of times. I'm going to set up separate time to talk to you about the, the campaign. Um, but on the theme we just talked about, uh, as controller, seven and a half years in, any, any regrets at this point? Anything you wish you had focused on? Any, any issue? Any agency? Any entity uh, on the flip side of the sort of final priorities and the uh, victory lap? Any, any regrets? I have to be totally honest with you. I, I am so proud of the work that the people in the controller's office were able to accomplish. Uh, and it wasn't just getting the big uh, system budget commission award. I mean, every day, so many people there uh, fought for this city. And this has been uh, just a tremendous honor to serve as controller, uh, to serve as a borough president, to serve in the legislature. I consider myself the luckiest person in government because I've done exactly what I wanted to do. And look, there's always things you wish you could do more of, but uh, I think we took this office and made it into something very special and uh, very accomplished. And I'm, I'm very proud of the work that everybody did. And the key to good governing is not just viewing yourself as the elected official who knows everything. The key to good governing is the people you attract into government. And by any measure in any office I've had, especially in the controller's office, uh, people have always said to me that the people who have been with me during this journey have really shown themselves to be great public servants. All right, we'll talk with you in November, December, and we're gonna and we're gonna push you harder on 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 regrets, uh, and, and we'll get we'll get one or two regrets out of you in, in November, December. I'm Fair. gonna I'm gonna set up I'm gonna set up time with you to talk about uh, about the campaign that was, but we'll leave it there. All right, all right, Carol, it's good to see you. Good to see see you at the Utopia Diner. I can't wait. I, I will see you soon. Goodbye, guys. Okay.